Mike? Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Oh, I got somebody to respond. That's nice. Mike, uh, do you mind opening us up with a word of prayer, sir? Everybody, Mike's going to start us off with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to study your word. We thank you for the blessing it is that we can freely do that in this country. Mm -hmm. We ask now that you open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit, that we may take what is taught and we may apply it to our lives daily. We ask it all in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this is the last lesson on the decrees of God now. And then next week, Seth will be taking over. Um, so as we always do, I just want to go quickly through what we've covered so far. We started with the intro and then the basis from the Bible of this teaching. Then we, st- then we talked about who God is. We talked about Him. And that's because it helps safeguard what we're doing. And, and we'll actually see that again today as a very relevant thing to review and to consider after that, we looked at God's incomprehensibility. It's the fact that God um, cannot be fully, uh, fully comprehended by the human mind. And so there's this element of mystery and faith and worship involved in the Christian life. And then we talked about evil and suffering. talked about the problems associated with that and the decree of God. We talked about free will and God's sovereignty. We talked about God's knowledge of the future. We talked about the doctrine of election. We talked about why are some people saved and why are other people not saved? And then we talked about the fruits of that doctrine. which was like, what does this doctrine produce? What should we expect to see in the world, in a church that believes this, in a family that believes this, in a person's heart that believes this? And so we see those fruits working their way into the world. And so last week we started on kind of a little bit more emphasis on the second question. And like I said, the second question that we've been looking at um, uh, is very connected to the first, obviously. But the reason I haven't covered it so much is because the next several questions of the catechism actually cover each of those things, creation and then providence. So then we looked at creation. So that was last week. And so today I'm just going to go again um, this morning and I'm going to just give the concept of God's providence in all of life and talk about that. And then in later Sunday School series, we'll be looking at Providence in more detail. And, and uh, for today, I'll just give another kind of summary style lesson of everything that we have. Uh, have kind of a, a summary of, of this doctrine of Providence and then connecting it back to the decrees of God. And so let's just, before we go on with that lesson on Providence, let's review again the questions and the answers. So what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God And how does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Great job. Now we are going to dive into our lesson of today. So first thing we have to do is we need to kind of define providence. We need to understand what it is. And so what is providence? Um, Well, thankfully the catechism has an answer for this. Uh, Just a little bit lower down. It says... What are God's works of providence? And it defines it this way. It says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all of their actions. So we we got that right packed in there, right in the catechism to explain it to us. Now I want to unpack that a little bit. 
So it's important that we look at the way that providence is defined here in the catechism because there's some very important specific kind of indication, specific language that's used. The, the thing we have to realize is that we're liable to get very uncomfortable and very confused regarding the providence of God if we forget what God is like. And this is, again, one of those things. I've been hammering certain points along the way this whole series because um, these things are just the, the everydays of Christian life. Like remembering what God is like will give you a good insight into what his providence is about. And so if we forget the fact that God is, as the above answer says, most holy wise and powerful if we forget that if we forget these basic concepts that god is holy and wise and that he can do whatever he wishes then we'll tie ourselves into knots we'll get very confused maybe even discouraged when we start to think about god's providence in the world as his creatures if we as a limited creature start looking at it but we forget what god is like if we start to paint him in a in a, in a view that is inaccurate that isn't uh that isn't in congruence with the biblical way that he is explained and the way that we should understand him as he's revealed himself. But if we remember this, if we remember that God is most holy, wise, and powerful, then, um, in, then we'll actually be able to move forward in this. We'll be able to look at this topic of providence, these topics of the decrees of God, in a really uh, sober and reverent manner, and we'll be able to be wise in our way forward. And so... Uh, that's one aspect we need to understand is this, this definition of providence very intentionally defines what God is like. It says he's holy, he's wise, and he's powerful. He's doing all of this stuff in accordance and in alignment with his character and the way he is. So we can trust him in his providence because of that. And then the next thing I want to bring out is the connection between providence and the decrees of God. Okay, Because the connection between providence and the decrees of God is kind of obvious because... If God has decreed whatever comes to pass, then it means that he must also be involved in the preserving and the governing and the guiding of his creation towards the outcome that he's decreed, right? In other words, if he's decreed whatever comes to pass, just like it defines it here, it says that he is, by his good character, in a most powerful way, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions, right? So we're not surprised to see that the God who decreed all things also is intimately associated and involved with preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Not just distantly removed and decreeing it, but also involved in it in, intimately in providence. And so um, this is kind of where providence comes in, right? This is where providence is clearly understood. Creation is the making and establishing of all things. And that one creative moment we talked about last week. And then providence is God's preservation. Or providence is his upholding and his guiding and his sustaining of the things he's created. So there's the creation and the created. And then he's providentially sustaining and upholding that from the moment of creation onward. And this is very helpfully, very simply, in almost a poetic way stated by Bobink right here. He says, creation brings forth existence. Now, just a, key, just a key in interpreting this quote is when he talks about preservation, he has, a very, he has a section where he kind of talks about why he doesn't maybe use the word providence or why he prefers to talk about preservation and governing and things like that. But when he's talking about preservation, he really means what we're talking about here, more or less, which is providence. Okay, so when he says creation brings forth existence, but pres preservation is persistence in existence. Okay, so... Preservation or providence is what keeps the creation existing. 
The existence of it is from the created word, God speaking it, and then he also is upholding it and carrying it forward and causing it to persist in existence. So that might help you remember it. We're going to go through three kind of main big picture points regarding providence this morning and connecting it, hopefully in a logical way, to the decree of God that we can understand. So the first one is the doctrine of providence teaches us that God is actively involved in the world. Actively involved in the world. So many verses, obviously, basically the whole Bible attests to this at every point because God is constantly interacting with people. He's constantly involved with their lives. He's constantly involved with their story, with, with his people, with all kinds of things. So, so the whole Bible attests to this, but three verses that I picked out that kind of very poignantly and, and directly state this. In Acts seventeen twenty eight, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. In God we live and move and have our being. It's a very clear teaching of God's active involvement in our, in our uh, life and in his providence. Then in Colossians 1.17 it says, And he is before all things, and in him, this is in Christ and in God, all things hold together. Everything holds together. Everything keeps from unraveling. Everything keeps from becoming chaotic. Everything is, is headed towards his, his desired goal because of Christ. In him all things hold together. And Hebrews 1, 3, that God, it says there that God is upholding all things by the word of his power. All things are being upheld by the word of his power. So the same word, like I said, the same word that created that stuff is upholding that stuff. It's amazing. So that's, a prop, that's kind of God's active involvement in providence. So we see that God upholds all things and he's involved in everything. And so we also want to note that God never rests, Right? If, we have, if, if God is actively involved, then God never rests. And then you would probably say, well, what about in Genesis when it says on the seventh day, God rested? Okay, but that's an important thing to, to understand. God does not stop acting in providence. He does not stop sustaining his creation on that seventh day. All he does is he stops creating new things on that seventh day. So he rests from creation. But if he did not keep on actively sustaining said creation, everything would completely fall apart, right? The whole world would actually disintegrate. So thankfully, he doesn't rest. And also, thankfully, he never gets tired. Okay, so that means he's actively involved. He's never resting. He's always actively involved in our creation, always upholding it and sustaining it. And so... um, we, we just need to understand this about God. So his rest in Genesis was his resting from creating, but all the while he was still sustaining everything through his hand of providence. Just, just realizing that. And that again emphasizes the point that was in these three key verses, right? That God is so intimately connected and actively involved in the world that we could never, uh, we could never survive. We could never continue on without his providence, without his hand of, of um, steadying and sustaining and governing and preserving everything. And so he's constantly working, he's upholding, he's guiding his created world towards the destination that he wants it to go to. And this is, this is an important thing to understand, right? Because there's some people with some views of who God is that don't believe this. They don't believe that God, the creator of the universe, is actually providentially, intimately connected to and involved with the world. Can anybody name somebody who, or a religion or a view that would kind of not understand God this way, actively and intimately involved in the world? Deist. Yeah, deists, exactly. That's exactly what I had on my thing. <laughs> and I can't think of any more. <laughs> 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 
but uh, yeah, good job. So yeah, deists, deists, they believe that God created the world, but that now he's just distant. He's just allowing it to run according to its own principle. He's not intimately involved in the things that go on in that world. So we see now, we've seen that God is actively uh, involved in the world. So next point is that by God's providence, he is revealing himself. Okay, so God is revealing himself. So remember I talked last week, we talked about how God reveals himself in creation. You may or may not remember. This is closely connected to his revealing himself in providence. You think if the reason he created the world was to reveal himself, then the reason he keeps on working in that world is not surprisingly also to continue to reveal himself. The fact that he's keeping on connecting and working in that world is somehow supposed to show us through his providence more about himself. So everything... It's important to understand that everything that we know as human history or as the history of the earth is a product of God's decree in eternity. That's what the doctrine of the decrees of God teaches us. He he decrees whatsoever comes to pass. That means Genghis Khan and Egypt and whatever else you've studied in world history is all a part of God's providence. It's all a part of God's decree in eternity that has now come to pass. And since God executes his decree in creation and providence then that means that we can also look at the unfolding of God's decree and as, at his providence, and we can actually study that in the form of history. We study that, and we can understand what was God doing, the way that he was working, the way that his hand was moving in that, form, in that place in history, in that time, for that reason. And so uh, what we study in the past in the form of history is actually looking at events that have taken place according to God's providence. And so there is this close connection, right? This very close, intimate connection between what we understand as history and what we understand as the providence of God acting and moving and doing things in the world that he's intimately involved with. And so I, I want to summarize this teaching in this, in this phrase and then unpack it a little bit. So, for the eternal and all-knowing and sovereign God who decrees whatsoever comes to pass, history, in other words, past providence, A, reveals his character and B, Reveals how he will act in the future. Actually reveals something about how he will act in the future that we can look into. And so God's providence that we can, underst- that we can see and understand in the world that he has made is intended to teach us about himself and is supposed to teach us about the future. And so when we study history, we can see God's fingerprints all over it and we can look into these points, point A and point B. So the first one under point A, we see that for, God's, for God, history reveals his character. This is because in God's works in history, we get to witness what God's hands have done. And so we get to better know him, get to better see what did his hands do. If you see what his hands did in the world, in history, then you can also see, well, that must tell us something about the guy, the God whose hands those are. Right? We can, we can infer some things about God by looking at the world, by looking at his work in history. So, for instance, I know this is creation is technically separate from providence, but it also is a, an act of of God, we see him create the world. That shows us how much power he has, right? How much glory he has. And then in his providence, there's some examples I thought of. You could think of many, many more that show us about who God is. So, for instance, when God is working with his covenant people, um, when he, for instance, brings them across the Red Sea, or when he wins the Battle of Jericho, those are historical facts of things that have happened in God's providence. Right? But those things show us God's power. They show us God's grace. 
They show us God's desire to save. They show us so many things about him. So when we're looking at history, it's amazing to be able to look back at these historical things that have been recorded for us to understand. And we can infer, wow, God is a God of power. He made the city of Jericho fall down without literally anybody even doing anything. He, uh, just by faith, he did all of this through his grace and his desire to save. He parted the Red Sea. You get to, you get to witness and you actually get to understand what God is like by looking at his hand in history and in creation. Um, and so another example is in the cross. So we look at all the, all the context, everything that God did with his people leading up to and, and finally pointing into Jesus Christ, right? And all of this has led up to God showing us himself in the fullest way possible on the cross. And what is the cross? What is Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection? That's historical fact, right? It's a historical fact of God's providential working in the world to bring a Savior for us, to bring us a way of salvation, to bring us hope. And so we can look at the world in that regard, and we can understand when we look at the world, when we look at history, we get to understand God revealing himself to us. So this list could go on and on. But the thing I want you to understand is that with this view that God has foreordained whatever comes to pass, it means that we can have confidence that God is like a skillful artist, right? He's like a skillful artist who plans out a masterpiece story, a masterpiece of a world, and he shows us who he is by painting in that world, by working in that world, by acting in that world. And his providential hand is at work in that world. And so God is not making it up as he goes along. He's not... um, haphazard but he's very intentional in painting a masterpiece which displays who he is shows us man if you if you see that masterpiece that that artist painted well then you know something about that artist right and that's the way that god works in our world and so within the world uh, where history has taken place and where god has revealed himself he's also recorded his actions and given his word in the bible it's another point to understand right so he's done all these historical things He's done all these other things. But like I think Richard raised up last time. He's not here today, I don't think. But um, he, he raised up this point. Yeah, God created a world. And then he created and he worked with his providence in the world. And through that, he brought about the Bible. Right. And the Bible is this amazing collection of historical facts. This amazing collection of historical information that is salvific, that actually points us to God, that actually leads us to a possibility of being able to be saved. Because God reveals himself. It's not only historical facts. It's also just plain old straight up sometimes declaration and revelation of God. But a lot of what the Bible is. You read those stories in the Old Testament and things like that. It's, it's big historical uh, documents. Which as an aside. I do find it quite annoying. Whenever you're like talking to people about um, archaeology. Or um, kind of facts associated with the Bible and things like that. They often count everything as historical documentation except the Bible. Isn't that weird? We're like, we're going to go look at some Canaanite religious tablet as the source of what we should and should not believe about how things did or did not happen. But we won't look at the Bible that was written right around the same time and that we still have many millions or thousands of copies of, right? So that's a little aside, but that's like, it's an interesting thought to think about. Um, God has given us the word to reveal that history, to reveal about himself. And so um, in, on that note, Bob, I don't think I have it up here, but um, yeah, I do have it up here. Scripture in its totality is itself the book of God's providence. That's what Bobbing says. Right? That's pretty cool. 
The scripture is a book of God's providence. It's a book revealing God's working in the world. It, it records and explains how do we interpret it. God has done things. How do we interpret those things? How do we understand those things? How should we move forward in light of, of knowing this historical stuff? And, and uh, how does this connect to God? And how does this reveal God? So that's point A, right? That it reveals God to us. And then under point B... Uh, we see that it reveals how he will act in the future. So we see that history actually foreshadows. We saw how he ha- acted in the past, and then that how he acted in the past actually tells us how he's going to act in the future again, which is a very um, incredible thing to think about again. Oh, too soon. <laughs> so uh, this means that if we see um, God working in the past, um, because of the outworking of his eternal decree and his work of providence, then... When we've seen his perfect hand working, we've seen his guidance, we've seen his, his leading, then we can also have confidence. We can have confidence going forward, right? We've seen what he's done. We've seen how perfectly and wonderfully and amazingly he led everything in the world in providence to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He led everything to that point. Well, then also we have confidence that he's going to lead it to the future point, right? To the, to the future of what we can look forward to. So we have confidence because of looking at the past, History foreshadows how God will act in the future, and this gives us amazing foresight and confidence as Christians. Um, just another example, it's the same one as before, but the scriptures record for us the salvation through the Red Sea in the Exodus, and this points us to a greater salvation in Jesus Christ, right? Or what's another example? We learned from, so that was a, few, a past thing pointing to a future thing. So we learned also from the promised land, like the, the fact that the Israelites were led into the promised land. Well, that's not, that's not the ultimate goal, right? That's not the ultimate aim. What that promised land is supposed to point us to is to the ultimate promised land, right? the future promised land, the new heavens and the new earth when this whole thing is made new and completely restored and made um, perfect, right? And then another example. Remember in, in Egypt... Uh, God came and he took the Israelites out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea. And then what? He crushed Pharaoh's army, right? In history. We look into history. In history, Pharaoh's army got swallowed up by the Red Sea. Got completely swallowed up and crushed. So what do we understand about that? Well, we understand that God is showing us in that past historical event. He's showing us something he's going to do in the future. In the future, every wicked thing, every one of Satan's demons and Satan himself... And every wicked aspect that's in this world is going to get swallowed up. It's going to get crushed. It's going to get judged. It's going to get destroyed. And praise God for that. But that's, you see how that's foreshadowed for us there? That's foreshadowed for us there in this historical event. God, by his providence, did this historical event. And that historical event then shows us something about a future, an even greater, a higher, a better even future event. When Satan and the demons and all those who serve Satan and the demons and everyone who is causing discord and hatred in the world, everyone who's not in Jesus Christ, right, will be destroyed and eliminated. And that's a, that is a comforting thought. I know a lot of people don't like that thought that God would do that, but that's a comforting thought to me to know that God works in the past through history to show us what he will do in the future. So he's already done it in the past. He's done the unthinkable. He defeated the world's greatest army at that time, which was Egypt, destroyed them so why would he not also in the future be able to do this even greater, even more amazing, even further um, accomplishment that we can look forward to? So, so as we move on, um, we noted that God who decrees whatever comes to pass 
and is, and is providentially involved in his world. He uses it as a place to reveal his character, right? Point A, he reveals himself through it. And then also he reveals ahead of time to us who are faithful, who actually study his word and study his providence and study his, his uh, hand in history. He actually reveals how he will act in the future. It's amazing. So we have this insight that people who don't study the word, people who don't trust in God don't have. We have so much confidence that comes from that. So much assurance knowing that we know something about where this whole program is headed. And that's very much related to my next point. Um, It says, God is guiding the world according to his purpose and towards his destination. That's my last point on this. So in Ephesians 1.11, this is that classic verse I've been quoting almost every lesson. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things according to the counsel of his will. And it's according to his purpose. And so it's going to his purpose and towards his destination. And I love this quote. This one author that I read said this. He said, The events we see unfolding in time and history are not haphazard or chaotic. I mentioned this earlier. They are the divinely ordained means by which God is bringing this universe to its proper consummation in Jesus Christ. And this is a sentence I like. I mean, I like all those sentences, but this is a really good way to think about it. It says, We would not think very highly of God if we knew him to have created all things without a clue as to what he intended to do with them. That's true. If God did not have a purpose and intention with what to do with them, we would be confused, in fact. And a lot of people kind of wish a God was like that. But I don't wish him to be like that. I want him to be the kind of God who has a purpose, who has a destination and a plan where he's heading with this, who is painting, indeed painting a masterpiece in the world. And so just to finish off that quote, it says, We marvel at God's wisdom and find him worthy of praise precisely because we know that all things have been created not only by Jesus Christ, but also for him. So there's a purpose. There's a point. There's there's an objective. There's a destination to this whole world. And that's all a fact of providence, right? Because God's guiding it. He's working in it. He's, He's executing his decree through the work of creation and providence and he's working it towards his purpose and towards his destination and so this is very encouraging for us as christians to realize that god has has an end and a purpose for what he's what he's doing and what's taking place in the world and in all of his actions and providence and because we know who god is we can actually have confidence that what he's doing will definitely come to completion we can have confidence that this story he is writing in creation and providence is a story that he's going to wrap up that he's going to actually have a conclusion to. And he's going to do it in the way that he wants to do that, right? And it's so cool. And if we, and if we, don't, and if we did not have confidence in God and in the rock solidness of his eternal decree, what basis would we have for confidence and hope in the Christian life? What basis would we have that the things in the future would come to pass? We wouldn't. We believe in God's eternal decree, whereby he's foreordained everything. Whatever comes to pass... And that's, and that's why there's such great assurance and such great joy as we look through the works of history and as we look towards the future. We have this amazing joy and this amazing purpose and there's this objective and there's this destination that the world is going to. Now, I don't want to accidentally miss the emphasis by saying the world is going somewhere, the end, the new heavens and the new earth, and forget that the actual core of that, the whole kind of creation core of that is actually the whole main purpose which is Jesus Christ right 
So that's actually a past event. But the whole, the whole center, the whole thing that makes the future and the past, the whole thing that makes creation, the whole thing that makes the decree of God, the whole thing that brings us all together, that makes sense of it, is Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ. The God-man dying on the cross for the sins of lost humanity so that God can receive the glory, so that sinners can receive grace. This is the actual focal point. So this is what God's guiding everything towards in creation and providence. There's nothing chaotic, nothing random, nothing is a mess. Everything in, cor- in accordance with God's plan is going towards His purpose and towards His destination to the glory of God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ, through the power of Jesus Christ, through everything that Christ has done. And so a lot of, um, a lot of people, like I think a lot of people could benefit from understanding this, right? And if, and if we can go out in the world and in our workplace and everywhere and explain to people, there's, it's not a purposeless existence. It's not like this thing has no end or no direction, that this has no um, point that we can look to. We can look to Jesus Christ and we can look to future hope. We can look to future glory. There's, Higher rates of depression, meaninglessness, anxiety than ever before in the world. And why is that? It's because literally everyone is just in a chaotic state in their own mind. They're watching TikToks, watching Instagrams, watching the news, watching all kinds of nonsense. But they're not on this program. They're not on this purposeful, destination-oriented, divine program. And the cool thing about God is He does not just create us. And then in his providence, leave us there to just flounder around and mess around in our own program. In fact, he, like I said last week, he gets us and he, and he tells us by his grace and through his word and by drawing us with his spirit that we actually can get on that program. We don't have to be living like the world does. We don't have to live this nihilistic, meaningless, purposelessness, stupid existence anymore, right? And that's the incredible thing about the gospel. That's the incredible thing about the Bible. That's why it's so all-encompassing and, and whole life uh, encapsulating. And so if we understand this point, this last one, that God works in His providence to guide everything towards His purpose, towards His destination, man, we can live in that. We can literally live in that. By coming to Christ through faith and repentance, we can actually live in that and we don't have to live this storm-tossed life anymore, even though this world is hard, right? Even though this world is filled with storms and trials and difficulties, We don't have to live like that. We don't have to be people like the world who do not um, acknowledge that God has a purpose, that God has a destination, that he's going somewhere with this, and that he's already done something amazing in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's that's our hope as Christians, and it's, it's really the reason we should be getting out of bed every day, and it's also the reason we should be living and, and why we should be trying to be more godly because that's representative as in God's providence in his creation as his creations we'd be representing Christ if we're more godly we'd be representing our God who's at work and trying to put his glory on display and that's that's just the whole the whole thing is so holistic so all-encompassing if we think about it this way that our faith just our, our understanding of the faith and theology and the bible everything just gains such a higher level of richness right when we understand the world to be like this so now I want to wrap up with one last thing. And I don't necessarily, I do intend this as a summary of providence, but I also intend this to be a bit of a summary of just the whole study we've been doing. So all 10 weeks, this, this is a hymn. So this hymn is a concluding hymn, and um, I just want to read it. I think we'll be singing it today, as I asked that we should, but I, 
I'm not 100% sure that that actually came into fruition, but I do believe that we will. I think it will. And so the hymn is called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And some of you may know it. The hymn was written in 1774 by William Cowper. And so I've not found many more songs or poems that kind of as helpfully capture the kind of stuff I've been saying this whole time, right? I've been, I've been emphasizing the fact that there's mystery. The fact that God is so big and we are so small. The fact that God's providential hand is working all things together for good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose and ultimately for His own glory, right? I've been emphasizing all these things every week. Probably sound like a broken record at this stage. But listen, this song really captures it and that's why I want to sum up the whole lesson by just reading this to us. I would sing it, but that's not going to happen. So, so, uh, so let me just start. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's a pretty cool hymn, and it just captures the whole point of everything we've been talking about. And isn't it funny how sometimes you need a poem or something like that to capture something in a different angle? Not as analytical, not as uh, whatever, but no less meaningful and no less important to us. And so... Um, that's all I have to say about this topic after 10 weeks. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I do uh, want to open up. I have a little bit more time today. I do want to open up to some questions or any kind of concerns or disagreements or corrections or whatever. And if, yeah, so please ask away if you have any. Nope, no luck? Okay, that's okay. Um, let me close us in a word of prayer and then we'll go uh, worship the Lord together. Father God, uh, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you so much, Father, that you are in control, that you are wise and holy and powerful enough to bring your decrees and your works and what you've planned into fruition. God, there's no one that can thwart your will. No one can say to you, what have you done? God, you're so great and so amazing. And we just worship you. We just thank you for these 10 weeks, Lord. We thank you for teaching us about the decrees of God. We thank you for uh, helping us to better understand the way that you're at work. And, the, and, and very importantly, to understand our place in it all. To understand that our minds are so small. You're so glorious and so great, and so we don't need to, we don't need to fret. We don't need to 
uh, try to have every single thing figured out and try to seek into things that go beyond what is written or try to look into things that go into your nature and your character that you've never decided to reveal to us. Father, I pray that we would um, have wisdom to understand that you um, have revealed certain things to us, that you've given us certain things that belong to us and to our children, but that the secret things belong to you, God. And thank you, Lord, that in your providence, though sometimes very mysterious, and sometimes indeed there is a, a frowning providence or a hardship that you bring across our path, that you allow it to take place, not because you're evil, not because you mean us any ill or any harm, but actually because you love us. I pray that we'd be humble enough to submit to you. We'd be humble enough to, if we are even going through something like that today in this room, Lord, in our hearts or in our minds, um, in our daily life, in our circumstances, if we're bombarded by some providences that seem to us to be so confusing and difficult, Lord, I pray that you would just work through that and help us to submit, help us to have wisdom on how to navigate that path, Lord. Um, God, I just want to thank you. Um, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, that you do, in fact, work in and through us, that you do, in fact, um, use vessels that are imperfect, that don't deserve any grace, that don't deserve any love, that don't deserve anything but dark providence that you do in fact work through us you use us to further your purposes you use us to reach your goal and your destination and you also have made a way for us to live in the light and you've given us a path to walk in the light and god you've given us uh, hope and you've given us a purpose and joy and we don't need to live a life that's bound up in anxiety and despair we don't need to live a life that worries about the future because you have ordained all things whatsoever come to pass. And that means that you know the future and you know exactly what your people need before they ever ask a thing of what they need. You know exactly what we need and you, you have it all planned out and in your hand we rest, Lord. And I pray that you'd give us eyes to see towards the day of the resurrection, eyes to see towards the day when we will be made perfect. God, when we will no longer be bombarded with any dark providence whatsoever, but only ever perfect and joyful and um, blissful experience, Lord. And I just pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.